This is episode number 55 with Melissa Ambrosini. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? You may have guessed by now that this is going to be a bit of a different episode. No, Melissa has not had a sex change. This is, in fact, her husband, Nick. Now, each week, Melissa asks you who you want to be interviewed. And one of the most common requests is actually to hear more from Melissa. So, in this extra special episode, I'm going to be playing the role of host. Well, I get to ask Melissa all the top questions that you wanted her to answer on the topics of deep love, rocking relationships, and soulful sex. And if you're extra lucky, you might get a few extra juicy insights from me along the way too. Now, before I introduce today's guest, who you know very, very well, I want to tell you something very exciting. You can now order Melissa's next book, Open Wide. It is out now. Woohoo! And it's so freaking good. Now, on a personal note, having sat with Melissa for countless hours while this book was being created and seeing her pour her absolute heart and soul into this for over a year, I can honestly say this is one of the most important books that anyone could read. And I want to commend my gorgeous, gorgeous queen for going deep into very intimate areas of her life so that you may benefit from everything that she has learned. Her vulnerability in this book is simply stunning. Now, something else that Melissa and I are very excited about is the open wide tour around Australia in January and February 2018. This is not your average book tour. It's not your normal concert. This is a celebration of my music, including the release of my recent single also called Open Wide, which you can hear by going to broadhurst.world forward slash open wide. And of course, to celebrate the release of Melissa's next book, Open Wide. To reserve your ticket, simply head to nickandmelissa.com. Now into the show. Melissa Ambrosini needs no introduction, but since I have you as my captive audience, let me share a bit about Melissa from my perspective. When we first met, I was totally taken by what I call her shininess. Melissa is honestly the most authentic and beautiful person I've ever met, which explains why I proposed to her after just two weeks. I wanted this woman in my life forever. And over the past four years since we met, I've watched her grow from an inspired young woman into a global thought leader who has the purest of intentions with everything that she does. Each morning when we wake up, she asks me, what are three things that you are grateful for? And I often say that I'm grateful for you, darling, for just saying yes. And I meant every word of that because Melissa makes me want to be more every day. And I think that really sums her up. Everyone I meet who has been touched by Melissa and her work is simply inspired to be more. And I can't wait for you to get your hands on her next book because I know just how crucial this information is. We both learned a lot of what is in this book before we met. And when we came together, it was the perfect playing field to put it into action. I'd had many relationships before and even a marriage where I can honestly say that not understanding the core concepts of what Melissa presents in this book was kind of like, honestly, like flying blind. I seriously had no idea what it meant to be a man. No idea. But thank God I managed to figure some of this out, which eventually allowed me to then unite with my soulmate, Melissa. In this episode, we're going to chat about why Melissa wrote the deeply vulnerable open wide, 
why understanding the masculine and feminine is so important in your relationships and within yourself, how to rebalance your masculine and feminine energy systems, the importance of polarity and how it plays out in your relationships and everyday life, what is soulful sex, why sex can be an act of service, why a man would choose whether or not to ejaculate during lovemaking, yep, we actually go there, how do you call in more love and manifest your soulmate, the illusion that once you meet your one, that it's all rainbows and butterflies, how to keep the spark alive in your relationship, how to consciously uncouple, and also how do you let go of expectations in all of your relationships. And trust me, there's so much more. This is a damn good one. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 55. Now let's dive in with the one and only Melissa Ambrosini. Welcome, Melissa, to the Melissa Ambrosini slash Nick Broadhurst show. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh, hi, darling. I actually haven't had breakfast yet because it's still early and I like to do intermittent fasting and just have lots of water first thing in the morning. So I haven't had anything yet. Hmm. Interesting. How long would you normally fast for? It depends. I really tune into my body and listen to it. So some mornings I really feel like I need my green smoothie a bit earlier and other times I can go until lunchtime without without anything, just on water. Very good, darling. Well, everyone listening to this episode, I'm sure will know your story. And if not, they can definitely get the full rundown in your first book, Mastering Your Mean Girl. But with your next book, Open Wide, it's very intimate. You've really taken that vulnerability from Mastering Your Mean Girl and kind of put it on steroids. I mean, this is a very intimate, very personal book on a topic which is often considered kind of taboo or hush-hush. Why did you decide to write such a personal book about deep love, rocking relationships, and soulful sex? I don't think I had a moment where I decided that I was going to do this. It came to me, you know, as Elizabeth Gilbert says, the muse showed up, the muse came knocking, and I was the vessel. And it was quite choiceless. So it's not like it was a conscious decision. I'm going to write a book about deep love, rocking relationships and soulful sex. It came to me, the muse came knocking and I just had to write it. And I sat down and it really flowed quite effortlessly as did Mastering Your Mean Girl. And that's what happens when you show up, as Stephen Pressfield says, when you show up and you do the work and beat that resistance, that's when the magic happens. And how does it feel now the book is out and obviously you go into a lot of personal story on a very personal topic such as sex? How does it feel now? You often talk about having vulnerability hangovers. (laughs) Have you felt any of that since the book has come out? So much. So many, so many times I have. And as you know, it's even, you know, woken me up in the middle of the night. But because I have the consciousness and the awareness that I do, and I'm so grateful for that, I know that that is not my truth. I know it's my inner mean girl saying, 
what are they going to think? You've overshared or uh, things like that. So I know it's not actually my truth because what was meant to be in that book is meant to be in that book. And as I sat down to write every day, I said a little prayer and I opened myself up and every word I wrote, I wanted to serve the reader. And if there were stories that were a little bit icky, I would ask myself, is this story going to serve the reader? And if the answer was yes, then I left it in. And if the answer was no, I removed it. So everything in the book was written with the intention to serve the reader. And I know that any vulnerability hangovers is just my mean girl trying to get the better of me. And I kind of laugh at the same time because I, I know the truth. It's it's just her having a go and uh, I'm not going to buy into it, but that still doesn't mean that that vulnerability hangover doesn't happen. It's just how you choose to engage with it that matters the most. Am I going to let that run and ruin my life? Am I going to you know, stress about it or am I going to just laugh about it and let it go and that's my intention every time it does pop up. But I felt like this with Mastering Your Mean Girl as well, as you know. You know, the week before Mastering Your Mean Girl came out, I had a few nights where I woke up in the middle of the night because, you know, I'm very vulnerable and I'm very open, wide. You know, I I don't know how to be any other way. And this is what we're here for. And if I want to write a book about vulnerability and being open, then I've got to practice what I preach. And that is being totally authentic and vulnerable in my writing and in my work, because vulnerability breeds intimacy and connection. And us humans are hardwired for intimacy and connection. And this is what we're here for. This what this is what makes life so rich and enjoyable. So I choose to just let those vulnerability hangovers go and come back to the core intention and the core message. And that is to inspire people to open wide and to inspire people with my words. Just to throw a bit of a curveball at you, you mentioned the main girl is the main culprit here for this fear. But do you think that that fear actually could be a sign that you're on the right path because sometimes when something scares the crap out of you it could mean that you're actually doing your soul's work oh hell yeah absolutely i think if anything doesn't scare you just a little bit then it can tell you a lot about that experience or that situation for me like you know walking out on stage speaking to thousands of people yeah i feel a little bit nervous and if I didn't, I'd be concerned. Launching any product into the world or any interview or writing any book or speaking on any stage or any podcast interview that I've done, there is a little bit of nerves, I guess. And I think that's totally normal. And it means that it really means something to you. It's important. Like you said, it's, it's you know, really important and meaningful and soulful. Yeah, and I wanted to come at you now with some questions that have actually been posed by your audience. And you went out to your audience and asked, you know, what would you like to hear from me if I was interviewed? 
on this topic of deep love, rocking relationships, and soulful sex. And there's some really great questions. So I'm going to start with one from Janet who asks, why is understanding the masculine and feminine so important in your relationship? It is the bedrock of your relationship. Before we dive into understanding this in your relationships, let's just strip it back for a second because understanding the masculine and feminine within yourself is really important as well as your relationships. And we all have masculine and we all have feminine. And it's not about dismissing one or the other or one being better or more right. It's about awareness really and knowing that we all have both. It's like yin and yang, Shiva and Shakti, on and off, hot and cold, up and down. It's all there within every single person. And when you become really aware of your own energies within yourself, whether you're more in your masculine or more in your feminine, it really does deepen your connection with yourself. And then in turn, deepens your relationships and your connections with other people. So understanding when you are too far down the masculine or too far down the feminine path and knowing what you need to do to kind of come back and balance them out a little bit is really important for your own health and happiness and sanity. So like I mentioned in Open Wide, there are so many things that you can do to rebalance those energies. So if you feel like you are way too in your masculine, I give you so many things that you can do to rebalance your and come back more toward your feminine. And then if you're way too feminine, what you can do to rebalance and come back a little bit more into your masculine. And it's a feeling, you know, how do you know whether you're too masculine or you're too feminine? It's a feeling. For me, being in my masculine too much feels, I feel cortisol-y. I feel a little bit overwhelmed. I feel stressed. I may have spent too much time on my computer or on my phone that day. I feel my cells start to become stressed and overwhelmed. And I know what I need to do to rebalance and come back more into my feminine. I know what I need to do. You know, things like diving in the ocean or doing some yoga or meditating or even having a cup of tea in the sun or uh, having a sauna. Any of those things really help me soften and come back more into my feminine. So in the book, I get everybody to explore what are the things that are going to help support them to rebalance the two energy systems and the polarity within themselves. And I think that's really important and something we're not taught to do, but something that is so important. And then there are times where I may be way too feminine and I don't have that oomph or that drive or that motivation to go for it and and be that type A go, go, go personality. And then I know the things that I need to do to slide more back into my masculine. So becoming aware of these energy systems, these polarity within yourself is really important because then it will trickle out into your relationships as well. And that's really key for deep love and rocking relationships and soulful sex because if you're too masculine and I'm too masculine, we're going to butt heads. 
And same if I'm too feminine and you're too feminine, then it's not going to flow. That sacred dance between the two polarizing energies has to exist. And it's beautiful. And that dance can be an elegant dance if you choose for it to be. So I think everyone needs to explore these two energies within themselves and then watch how it translates into your other relationships. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. In the show intro, I mentioned that before I knew this stuff, it was like I was flying totally blind. And looking back now, I, I can look at a previous relationship where I was working from home on various businesses and on my music. And I was always home. And my partner at the time would go out into the office and literally be wearing the pants, like literally wearing pants and going into a corporate environment. And over time, I could just see the polarity between us was eroding, our sex life was eroding. And when she would come home, if I had have understood this, I would have known straight away that number one, perhaps I shouldn't be home when she comes home. She, she, so she could get into the home space and soften and take some time to get more into the feminine, change out of the clothes, maybe have a bath. And I guess reacclimatized to being in the home environment. But I was always home when she got home. I was more of the feminine. And because I love cooking as well, I'd be doing a lot of those roles. Not that cooking is a feminine thing, but it is a soft thing to do. And I was always doing the cooking. So I just didn't understand these really simple rules. And I could see, well, I can see now certainly that that lack of understanding completely eroded the polarity between us and, and eroded our sex life. And it's been pivotal for me to be able to see this playing out. And in my next relationship, I had more awareness of this. And so there was more polarity and I knew the rules of the game a bit more and I knew what to do. And by the time you and I got together, I was determined to really implement these understandings into our relationship. And it's made a world of difference. I'm literally a completely different person in this relationship with you than I've ever been. And going back even further into my first marriage, uh, which obviously ended in divorce, I had no idea. I was a kid. You know, I had no idea what it meant to be a man. And I'm not talking about macho masculinity. I'm talking about the masculine, which is strong yet warm and can see when to nurture the feminine, can see when to soften. And so I'm just really excited to see this stuff coming out in your book because I know how much this has improved my life. And I've seen it improve yours as well. So it's a real blessing to have your book in the world. And I'm very grateful that you've taken the stance to some degree to actually put this back on the table and say, you know what, this stuff is not taboo. Talking about sex is not taboo. It's something that we all need to understand. And that's really, really exciting. Mm, thank you, darling. And it's the same, you know, we, we live and work together in our home and we've had to implement things because a lot of my day I'm, I'm more in my masculine, you know, I'm sitting in front of my computer and I'm working and I'm, you know, achieving. And then when the clock strikes 5.30 or whatever time we decide to wrap up, we need to have a shift and a pattern break. Otherwise, I then go into being a stepmom and a wife and cooking dinner with that harsh, more masculine 
energy and that's not the energy that I want to bring to the table. Like I want to soften. I want to be a beautiful, soft and open wide stepmom. I want to be a beautiful, open, soft wife to you. I want to be in the kitchen cooking and, you know, we've got our essential oils diffusing and we've got the Himalayan lamps going and we've, you know, dimmed all the lights in the house and creating that more softer feminine environment is really important for me, but also for our dynamic and our family. Because if you and I don't do something to shift our state from when we close the office door to when we come into our home, then we will take that feeling, that masculine feeling into our evening. And it's sometimes not very pleasant. You know, we want to be soft with Leo. We want to be open. We want to play. We want to, you know, play games after dinner and really be love with him. And so having some sort of pattern break is what we call them is really important. And usually we do that by going for a walk or diving in the ocean or meditating. You know, there's so many things you can do. And like you said, with your past relationship, if you had have had this knowledge, you could have gone for your walk when she got home so that she had enough time to have a goddess bath and slip into something flowy and sexy or whatever, you know, made her feel feminine. But because you didn't have that understanding, you didn't know, and you were probably just flying blind going, well, why are we butting heads or why are we not, you know, in flow state? So um, having this awareness is really, really important. And then taking the inspired action to implement some of the things like pattern breaks or like, um, goddess time, we call it. And, and Nick will sometimes say to me, you know, go have your goddess time, you know, go for a walk or go have a bath or whatever it is that you need to do. Go and have that goddess times because my energy will completely shift when I do. And it's interesting that it's not just about relationships or the dynamic between people in the house. It's also something as simple as, say, digestion. So this morning I was having breakfast, my very non-keto, non-paleo breakfast of oats, maple syrup and berries, which will ruffle some feathers. But um, I was having breakfast and you were sitting at the dining table with your computer and just the sight of your computer and the tapping of the keys. And I said, would you mind just relocating to the bedroom? Because when you're eating and digesting, it's a very soft, more feminine thing. You're in that rest and digest state. So you can sort of start to see it play out and everything. It's a really interesting lens to see the world through. And it's a nice segue into the next question from Frida. Frida would like to know, what is soulful sex? And as we know, polarity in soulful sex is so important, what we're talking about here. But what is soulful sex to you and in the book, Open Wide? Basically, I feel like there is two types of sex. There's junk food sex and there's soulful sex. And before you, I had only experienced junk food sex. And that is quick, easy, fast, no heart-to-heart connection, no vulnerability. Maybe you've got your top on. 
maybe alcohol is involved. Almost like mutual mutual masturbation almost. Exactly. Mutual masturbation. That's that's what, you know, that junk food sex is. But there is another way, and that way is soulful sex. And when you open your mind to the possibility of there being another way, that is the first step, openness, because then you can entertain the idea of their being another way. But if you're closed off and think, oh, no, that's rubbish, that won't happen for me, then you've completely shut down. You're completely closed off. And in every moment, we're either open or we're closed. And my intention is to be open wide in every single moment. So stay open and hear me out here because soulful sex will change your life. And soulful sex is when two conscious people come together with the intention to serve, not mutual masturbation, to serve each other, to grow, to evolve, to peel back layers, to be totally vulnerable, to speak their truth, to practice what I call crystal clear communication. That is soulful sex. And it is incredibly rewarding. It can feel scary sometimes because you're the most naked physically and metaphorically you will be with another person. And it can feel sometimes scary, but there is always growth on the other side. We didn't come here to hang out in our comfort zone with our inner mean girl or bad boy. We we came here to grow and evolve to our fullest potential. And you don't get that by sitting in your comfort zone. So by being vulnerable and moving through that discomfort is always going to have growth on the other side. And that is what soulful sex is all about. It's about Evolution, growth. Evolution and Mm -hmm. growth, exactly, and service to the other person. I want to touch on service a bit more because for me personally, this was probably the biggest shift that I had in my own lovemaking. And I too was definitely guilty of more of the junk food sex before I met you. And to some degree with the partner I had before you, I was getting closer to understanding it, but it really kind of came into being for me when we came together. I was very clear on what I wanted to create with you. And all of a sudden, I realized that sex was no longer about me. And it was very much about me serving you. And that might sound like, oh, you know, you got to take care of yourself. Well, you kind of don't because in the process of serving your partner, so let's talk about it from my perspective. When you and I make love, when we come together, my intention or my focus is entirely on you. And what I look forward to most is that moment where I see you literally connect back to your truth, connect to your love, to your heart, to source, to God, whatever you want to call it. In that moment of orgasm or climax, it's the most beautiful thing to watch because I get to see you in your truth. And it's a beautiful gift to be able to play a role in that for someone. And when I say being of service, I mean I'm there to take you to that place. And by taking you to that place, then that experience just spills out over onto me. And I don't mean literally, but energetically, of course, I'm absorbing all that beautiful love energy that's been fueled in that moment. I get to receive some of that. And of course, there is the flow on effect 
of what that does for you in the day. So the days where we make love in the morning, it's always a much better day, like hands down. It always is. It always flows better. There's always more affection during the day. There's always more love. It's almost like the day goes slower because there's more presence in the day as well. You know, we don't start the day in a rush. And so I just love when you talk about being of service because for me, that's been the biggest lesson. And of course, you, you can get more technical with that. You can start talking about the male having his own multiple orgasms and all these sorts of things. They're very tantric practices. But it all starts for me with just showing up in service of you, of the feminine, the masculine, injecting his energy literally into the feminine, taking the feminine back to her source and back to love. And I think that's the greatest role as a lover that I can play for you. Mm. Wait, 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 wait. So wait, you're saying that you don't ejaculate? I can I can hear people going, what? 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 Like, it's not about him? Like, what, what do you mean? So um, tell us about that. Hey. I'm the interviewer. I'm asking the questions here. No, okay. So basically, yeah, it's a very tantric or Taoist practice of not ejaculating. And I don't mean never. I mean, going into making love, I tend to make a very conscious choice whether or not I'm going to ejaculate in that session. It's it's something I sort of know beforehand. And I think that's very, very sexy for a woman to know that the man is fully in control. And I know David Dieter in his incredible book, The Way of the Superior Man, talks about ejaculating as a genital sneeze. Or a little death. A little death, a petit mot, as they say in French. And um, and it is in lots of ways because it is definitely a lot of energy from the body, from the male body to actually create that fluid and to ejaculate it. It does take a lot of energy. I talk about this in open wide, but can you tell us how many liters of blood is it equivalent to losing when a man ejaculates? Yeah, so I think it's the Taoist practice which refers to the amount of qi which is in blood. So about six liters of blood has a certain amount of qi. We're talking about almost the entire um, blood contents of your body. Um, In that moment of ejaculation, you are expelling the equivalent energy of that six liters of blood. So you just think of that, like it's it's a huge drain on your resources. And when you live in this modern world and we have environmental pollutions and stresses at, at home with kids and family and, and finances and everything that we have to go through every day, we're already very taxed, very burdened. And I think certainly there's this phenomenon of young men, teenagers, literally masturbating every day, ejaculating every day. And it's no wonder that you know young men run into health problems because you literally are draining yourself. And as I said- And frying your adrenals. Frying your adrenals, yeah. And it's not that you never ejaculate, as I said before. For me, it's just more of a conscious choice. And maybe it's once a week, maybe it's once a month. It's something that I personally flow with. And sometimes if we've been apart, for example, And we're often apart for two or three weeks at a time based on work and other things. Generally, when we come back together, I'm not ejaculating in that moment because I just need to get my rocks off. I actually choose to do it in the moment because I want to share that with you. And because I have control over my bodily systems to a degree, I can time that with when you're climaxing as well. 
Like I would never, very, very, very rarely would ever ejaculate without doing it at the same time as you. Um, and I think that's just a beautiful experience that you can share together, but it's a conscious choice for sure. So next question comes from Monica and she asks, how do you call in more love and manifest your soulmate? Such a good question and question that we get asked all the time. And I talk about this in the book. There's a whole section on how to call in your soulmate. And I think before I dive into that, it's really important that we define what a soulmate is. So a soulmate is whoever you choose it to be. A soulmate is whoever you choose to give that title to. And I don't have a crystal ball and I don't know what is going to happen in the future. All I know that right now in my life, Nick holds that title. I have given him that title and he holds that title. And that's all that matters. And if you want to give that title to five people, then go for it. Do whatever floats your boat. But be true to yourself. And if you want to give that title to one person, go for it. If you want to give it to five, go for it. So, Your soulmate is whoever you choose it to be. That's really important to know first. And then how you call in your soulmate, there is a level of self-work that you have to do before you get to a place where you are ready to call in your soulmate. No, you don't have to be enlightened because enlightened is unrealistic and you don't have to be perfect. So get rid of that word enlightened and perfection from out of your vocabulary. But you do have to have a level of self-awareness and consciousness before you call in your soulmate because you have to know what it is that you truly desire. So before Nick and I got together, we had both done our spiritual sit-ups and we continue to do our spiritual sit-ups. Don't get me wrong. We do them every single day, but we had done years and years of spiritual sit-ups before we got together. And we got to a place within ourselves where we were crystal clear on the type of union that we desired. And the whole chapter in Open Wide called Dive Into Your Ocean is about exploring your core values, your core beliefs, your interests, and your desires. Because there's no way that you can call in someone else unless, uh, sorry, until you know what you you believe what you desire, what your interests are, because otherwise you're flying blind. And this is so important to do. This sort of work and this sort of self-inquiry is so important to do before you decide to call in or manifest the type of person that you want into your life. And this is what we dive into in Open Wide is getting really clear on that stuff first. Because if you don't know what your core values are or your beliefs around a certain thing are, then how are you meant to call in someone who is aligned? For example, like if you have certain values and beliefs around parenting, like you believe that you don't believe in smacking and then you start dating someone who believes in hitting children, then you're going to butt heads. And same with if you have really strong beliefs and values around saving and money and finances, and then you start dating someone who gambles, then 
you're going to butt heads. And you can go through every area of your life, which is what we do in the book, but getting shiny diamond clear on what your values and interests and desires are is imperative before you call in your love. Yeah, when I look back to just before we met, if I try and picture, well, actually not even picture it, when I just think back to those moments, what I do see is me in my apartment on my own on the yoga mat. (laughs) And that's interesting that that vision comes to me because I think before we met, I was in probably the most intense phase of my own personal development, working on myself, self with a capital S. And all those daily practices like yoga, I mean, I used to do things like um, a little statue of Ganesh that I would surrender my uh, any attachments and blockages to every morning. I had uh, a candle that I would light every morning as part of my yoga practice. I obviously meditate each morning and all these different practices that I was doing, I was really in a very, very spiritual space. And not that I'm not now, it's just that, you know, these things change over time, what you do every day. And I think it's fair to say that both you and I were on a real exponential curve of spiritual growth revolution just before we met. And I don't think we could have met a day earlier, honestly. I don't think if it was 24 hours earlier, I just wasn't ready. You know, so I think, I think timing is, is also everything, but that timing is really dependent upon your willingness to do the work on yourself first. So I think in terms of calling in your soulmate, it really is about working on self with a capital S. Exactly. And the spiritual sit-ups never end, by the way. Just for those people who have enlightenment and perfection in their um, in their mind and, and thinking that they'll master their mingo once and for all, like it is a daily practice. It's a daily commitment. And doing the spiritual sit-ups every day is part of being here. And it's fun. If you choose to see it that way, bring fun and joy and play to it. Life doesn't have to be so serious. You know, this is what we're here for. Two of my life goals are how much fun am I having and how kind am I? So every night when I put my head on the pillow, I ask myself, did I have the most fun I've ever had today? And was I the kindest human being that I can be? in that day. They're my life goals, like kindness and happiness. That's what it comes down to for me. Let's break a bit of an illusion though, because it might seem very romantic and beautiful to manifest your soulmate, but does that mean life's going to be easy? Oh, what? So you, so you mean that like, we don't have rainbows and unicorns and butterflies and we don't all fly around on unicorns after we meet our soulmate? (laughs) <laughs> that that didn't happen for you, honey? <laughs> well, I certainly have had those moments, but I've had the complete polarity of that moment too. Exactly. I think that illusion of once you meet your one, that it's all rainbows and butterflies needs to be popped because that's when the real work starts. Because our relationships are our biggest spiritual assignments. Our relationships are our biggest mirrors. And you, my darling, are my biggest mirror. And you reflect back to me all of the areas that I need to do a little bit of work on. And 
it's a beautiful gift and I'm so glad it's you. And we say this to each other most days, you know, we'll wake up in the morning or the last thing we say to each other before we go to bed at night is, oh, I'm so glad it's you. You know, I'm so glad it's you because I love you dearly and you're just so much fun to hold hands through life with. And Fun, but I can be a pain in the ass too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. You know, that definitely happens as well. But there's always the deep underlying love and gratitude and respect that I have for you no matter what. And that's always there. And I'm deeply committed and you know I am a serial monogamist and I'm here. I'm I'm here because you show me the areas that I need to own. You you trigger me in the spaces that I need to look at. And as does Leo, you know, you two are the physically closest people and, and metaphorically closest people to me in my life. So they are the ones that are going to trigger you the most. And it's very quote unquote easy to walk away and think the grass is greener on the other side, but the grass is greener where you water it. And walking away from a relationship isn't always the easier option because your issues, quote unquote, or challenges will follow you to the next relationship until you look at them within yourself. And that's really important to remember. One of the questions we have coming up is about consciously uncoupling. But before we move into that, a great question from Susan is, how do you maintain a beautifully inspired relationship? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, darling. And But first of all, I talk a lot about this in the book, as you know, and I think it's really important to remember that your relationship will ebb and flow and that's okay. There are going to be times where you're totally just ravishing each other and you feel so inspired and adventurous and excited. And then there, there may be times where one of you is not feeling well, or there's been a death in the family or stress from finances or work or something like that. And I think it's really normal and okay to know that your life and your relationship will ebb and flow. But in those ebbs, it can sometimes feel really challenging. And, you know, I know for me, there's been times where I'm like, oh, but, you know, I just, I just want it to go back to the flow because the flow is so beautiful and juicy. And we have so much fun together when we're in that flow state. And this ebb is stinky and, and I don't want to be in the ebb anymore. But there's little things that you can do each day to support the other person. So if the other person is in an ebb and and you're in the flow and you you want to help the other person, there's little things that you can do that may work, that may not work. For example, you know, just holding space for them, holding space for them to to grieve or to go through whatever it is that they need to go through, being their rock in that moment. It's really powerful and it takes a very strong person to do that. And remind yourself that this too shall pass. You know, for me, Nick has been through a very big spiritual awakening this year. And I've had to really hold space for him and it's been very challenging, but 
one of the things that I've just kept on reminding myself of is this too shall pass. It's one of our favorite mantras. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. And this is just an ebb and it's okay. And it's okay. We're not doomed. It's just an ebb. And Nick has held space for me. For those that know a little bit more about my story, my best friend passed away in 2015. And did I feel like having soulful sex? Hell no. Did I feel like wanting to close down and shut off and just curl into a ball and wail? Yes. That's what I felt like doing in that moment. And so he so beautifully and elegantly held space for me through those challenging months where he was reminding himself that this too shall pass. This too shall pass. So ebbs and flows are part of a relationship. But if you're having, you know, a lot more ebbs, then maybe you need to look at it and and do some of the things that I suggest in the book to really help bring that intimacy and that inspiration back. But, you know, for Nick and I, we have so many things that we do every day to keep the spark and the juice in our relationship. You know, for example, we go for walks together. Nick will write me a beautiful text message almost daily saying something like, I'm just so grateful to have you in my life. I love you. You're the best wife on the planet, on, on planet earth. Or, you know, he's, he does beautiful things like that. And we leave love notes and we take time to connect every morning and every evening, massaging each other and tickling each other and things like that. There's so many things that you can do to be an epic lover and to keep that inspiration flowing in your life, but it takes showing up. And if you want a love-filled, soulful relationship, you've got to do the work and you've got to put in the effort and the energy. It's like a plant. If you want your plant to grow and thrive, you've got to tend to the soil. You've got to nourish the plant. You've got to, I speak to my plants. I give my plants love when I'm watering them. So if you want your relationship to flourish like a plant, you've got to tend to it. You've got to give it love. So it's a daily commitment. You know, how hard is it to send one beautiful, loving text message a day? can take one minute out of your day. You can even do it when you're sitting on the toilet, whatever. Like if you if you use time as an excuse, then create the space for it on the loo. But for me, you know, I constantly think about, well, how can I make Nick's day better? How can I bring more joy to his day? What can I do to support him and to bring more love into our family and into our relationship. And this is something I ask myself every single day because I'm deeply committed to this relationship. Yeah, I feel like the greatest victories we have, certainly from my perspective anyway, is that it's those moments where both of us want to close or both of us are already closed and don't want to open. And we stay (laughs) in that really uncomfortable space. And this could be in bed in the morning or whenever it is and we just stay there and we stay there and we close and we close and we slowly something gives someone yields a little bit or both of us yields a little bit and we just open a bit more and a bit more and what could have turned into a really pretty horrible day all of a sudden is completely transformed by the willingness to just get through that uncomfortable ickiness of being closed 
I think for me personally, everything you've said, of course, is true and amazing in terms of maintaining an inspired relationship. But I think doing the work when you don't want to do the work is probably the bedrock of having an inspired relationship because you can turn those stinky moments into something really beautiful. Mm. And I absolutely agree, darling. And also wanted to mention that you've got to create the time and space. It's very easy to let life and the days pass you by. We're all full. We all have things that we want to do and achieve. We've got families, we've got businesses, we've got goals that we want to achieve. We've all got to-do lists. But if you don't create the space for your relationship to flourish, it won't do it on its own. This is why Nick and I get up at 5.15 and 5.30 or 5.30 every single morning so that we have 35, 45 minutes to ourselves in the morning. We get up. Except for this morning because I slept in. Except for this morning. He slept in. He did. But, you know, or we do it in the evening. You know, we put Leo to bed at seven and we get into bed and we don't go to sleep straight away, but that's our time to connect and massage and talk and we put on essential oils and we dim the lights and that's our time. And If you have time during the day as well, great, do it. But you've got to create the space for your relationship to flourish. And, you know, like what Nick was saying before, if we're both in bed and we're both closed, it's going to take sometimes a little bit more time for one of us to open and yield and to soften. And that might take 30 minutes. It might take an hour. And another beautiful thing that we do is on the weekends, you know, we don't book anything in in the mornings and sometimes we'll stay in bed for like over an hour, hour and a half and just be there together talking and connecting. So it's really important that you create the space. And for those people who don't have the space or are telling themselves that they don't have the space, even just sitting in front of each other and staring into each other's eyes and maybe having one deep, beautiful, passionate kiss for one minute, we all have time for that. Yeah, just reflecting back on this morning, it's interesting that we didn't have that time together and we were aware that we had things to do. Like we had to do this interview, for example, but we still wanted to walk on the beach and do yoga in Bondi and all these sorts of things. So rather than just sort of sweeping it under the carpet, we sort of stopped and we actually had a discussion about it, didn't we? I said, she said, do we have time for a cuddle? I said, look, to be honest, there's so much to be done today. If we go back into bed, I'm going to feel like the clock's ticking a little bit. I don't want to bring that into the bedroom. And so we kind of looked at each other and made the agreement that we're going to go to bed at 7.30 tonight and we recreated that space. So it is about making space and it is a conscious choice and a conscious practice you have to make every day. So I'm going to move into that next question about consciously uncoupling. This comes from Lauren and she asks, when it's not working and the relationship is no longer on the same course it was in the past, how can you transform what could be a painful breakup into a beautiful conscious uncoupling? I love this term and kudos to Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin for, I don't know if they came up with it. I I think they did. I'm not sure, but I really love it. And it's so beautiful because 
Breakups don't have to be tumultuous and hard. They don't have to be. It is a conscious choice. And when you come to the realization that you no longer want to be in your partnership and you want to consciously uncouple, the best thing for you to do is sit down with the other party and practice CCC, crystal clear communication, and express to them openly and honestly from your heart, which is what crystal clear communication is, from your heart that you no longer feel like this relationship is um, true for you. You uh, need to honor yourself or whatever words you want to use, but you would love to separate as consciously and as gracefully as you possibly can and have that open dialogue with them. They might turn around and and if they're if they're conscious and aware enough, they might turn around and say, "You know what? This really sucks, but you're right. I love you and I respect you and I respect the time and the space that we had together. So let's do this with as much ease and grace as we possibly can." And of course, if you feel sad and if you feel angry and if any feelings and emotions come up, please feel them. Do not suppress them and sweep them under the carpet. But I know for me that in the past, I have not consciously uncoupled, but I have, and in writing this book, as you know, darling, just as I was literally handing in the final pages, I ran into two of my ex-partners and I had to have an open dialogue with them and say say thank you and how grateful I was for our time together and how I apologized for the way that I handled our uncoupling and I said if I had my time over again I would have handled it very differently but I have no regrets but I just want you to know how much I love you how grateful I am for our time together how much I respect you and how much I think you're such a beautiful person and it's funny how the universe works it's almost like uh, I needed to bump into those two men in order to birth this book so it's almost like this beautiful ribbon of closure that was wrapped around those relationships in order for me to put this book out into the world. So um, you don't have to have a tumultuous breakup. Of course, it's going to be different for every person. If there's infidelity and if there's physical abuse involved, you know, you have to do what you have to do. But if you go into it with the intention of ease and grace, and you communicate that clearly, then you just don't know what could happen. And even if the other person isn't involved, isn't on board the conscious uncoupling bandwagon, that doesn't mean that you still can't do it. So I would say to myself, my intention is to uncouple with as much ease and grace as possible. Even though Fred isn't isn't on board, my intention is to still do it with as much ease and grace and love and gratitude and respect for that other person because at one time you loved that person and they played a big role in your growth and your evolution. And so why should we poo-poo that? It's about love and respect, isn't it? You know, in one of my previous relationships when I came to 
a realization that I had to let this person go. It wasn't because I didn't love her or that I wasn't happy. It was because I realized that our relationship was actually holding her back from experiencing a much more full version of herself. And there was things that she needed to do in the world that she couldn't do in our relationship. And that doesn't mean it wasn't painful. You know, it was a very intimate three and a half year relationship. And it did hurt. It hurt for a lot less time, if that makes sense, because it was communicated with love and respect for that person and with a genuine desire to kind of set them free. I felt like I was holding her back. And so I think the core thing there is about communicating with love and respect, not just for them, but for yourself as well. Absolutely. And for those that have read the book, they'll know that love and respect are two core ingredients for deep love, rocking relationships and soulful sex. And when we got married, I had five relationships, well, we had five relationships that we loved and admired. And on our wedding day, those five women came up to me and whispered the key to a happy marriage in my ear. So we had five couples that we loved that had been married for a very, very long time. Like your parents, how long have they been married now? Like Over 40 years. Yeah. And my mum and dad, I think they celebrated 38 years. And then we had a couple of our other friends that have been married for a very long time. And one of the key things that your mum whispered into my ear was love and respect. And it stuck with me ever since. And if you have that deep love and respect for that other human being, that is the foundation of rocking relationships. It is the foundation because you will show up very, very differently if you deeply respect someone. And there has been times where I've had to remind myself of that. But at the end of the day, like love and respect are the bedrock. So once you're in a relationship, whether it's romantic or with family and friends, one thing that can definitely get in the way of those relationships is expectations. So Laura wants to know, how do you let go of expectations in all of your relationships? Firstly, let me start off by saying expectations ruin relationships. And if you want the quickest route to ruin any relationship, just place expectations on them. That is the quickest way to ruin your relationship with anyone. And we say it to each other all the time and we catch each other and you'll say to me, Hey baby, that that's an expectation. And, and I'll go, Oh yes. Oops. You know, oopsie doops. And, and I'll do the same for you. And it's very important to have that awareness around expectations because most people enter relationships with an Excel spreadsheet of expectations. And like I said, that is the quickest way to ruin your relationships. Of course, you can have desires and preferences and you can have healthy boundaries within yourself. And we go into all the boundary stuff in open wide. Of course, have those. And I would highly recommend that you have these healthy boundaries, you know your desires and you stay true to those. 
but let go of your expectations because that is the quickest way to disappoint yourself and to ruin your relationship. It's a conscious choice. You open wide to there being another possibility. You open wide to the reality of life without expectations because most people think it's par for the course. They just think that, well, no, you're my husband. You should do this for me. And we have a saying, you know, we always say to each other, quit shooting on me. And I come from a very strict Catholic Italian family where we should on each other all the time and shoulds are expectations. And Nick will say to me sometimes, hey, darling, please don't should on me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, oops. And, and I say it to him too. And it's, a, it's just an old default pattern that I'm committed to reprogramming, but sometimes it slips up. And we just go, oopsie doops. We don't beat ourselves up about it. We don't let our mean girl say, oh, you're so stupid. We don't do that. We just go, oopsie doops. Um, I just accidentally shit on you. And so having the awareness is really important and opening wide to the possibility of life without expectations because it is so much more joyful and rich and adventurous when there is no expectations. I mean, there's a feeling behind expectations, isn't there? If you need to figure out whether something is an expectation or a boundary, do you think a nice little technique would be just to kind of stop, tune in to the feeling of what it is? And generally, this is my experience anyway, an expectation always feels kind of icky, almost like that cortisol-y feeling. It feels really uncomfortable and it's contracting, whereas there's a boundary around something that's expansive. So by sort of going inwards and tuning in to whether it's contracting or expanding, that could be a nice little way of determining that, right? Yes, exactly. And a lot of expectations are coming from that place of fear. You know, they're not coming from that overflowing, bursting with love place. They're coming from a place of fear. You should do this for me because I did that, or you should do this for me because you're my sister, or you should do this for me because that's what Italian families do, you know? So they're usually from a place of fear. I think a really nice way to get through some of these expectations, if you if you think that your relationships are being held back by your own expectations of others, it might just be very helpful to get really real with where you're at right now because it's very hard to figure out where you want to go, where you want to be without knowing where you're at. So speaking of Excel spreadsheets before, you literally could make a list, right? You could literally, if, if there's a relationship that's causing you problems, why not analyze that a little bit and just make a list of your expectations and don't filter it. Like be really, really raw and real with that. Make the list out. And if you like, you could even you could even show the person, look, these are the expectations I have. Which of these are actually fair and which aren't? You know, I'm having trouble figuring this out for myself. Can you help me? I mean, that would be crystal clear communication, right? And once you have that list, provided that you've been really real with yourself, you've got kind of two choices. You either keep playing it out, which is just going to be suffering and stinkiness, or you can just make that choice to let them go. And that just might be a nice exercise for for listeners to do maybe after this podcast. Mm, great idea. Mm. Um, now, I'd like to go into another question, which comes from V. 
And V asks how to make new soulful sister connections and how to be a good friend and maintain relationships. And I think it's important because we've spoken a lot about romantic relationships, but what if you just want more community and more soul sisters or brothers in your life? What do you do? Mm. I go into this in open wide. There's a whole section on how to be an amazing soul sister. So I love this topic so much. And this is something that has really evolved for me over the years. For a lot of my life, I was a pretty selfish person. I never realized that you had to give in a relationship. I was very like, take, take, take. And this especially played out in my friendships. You know, I expected my friends to do things for me, but I was never willing to give. And this wasn't something that I was conscious of. I just am reflecting back with hindsight. And now for me, I invest so much love, time, and energy into my soul sisters because women are well, everyone is hardwired for connection, intimacy, and uh, and love. But I feel like for women more, we crave more soul sister time. Um, men, I think, don't need it as much as us women do. You know, we we raised children in tribes. We came together and there was so much community and we've really divorced ourselves from that over the years. And it's quite isolating now. You know, we spend way too much time behind our phones connecting with our online community, but not so much time face-to-face with physical community. And we've really lost touch with that. And it's something that I'm very conscious of creating in my life. And so I really do invest a lot of time and energy and love into my soul sisters. And how I do that is I be the friend that I desire. So I be the person that I desire to have in my life. And I think you got to show up first. So if I want a friendship that is supportive and loving and nurturing and authentic, then I've got to be supportive, loving, nurturing, and authentic. And I've got to show up. Um, I can't expect that other person to show up if I'm not going to. And there's so many little things that you can do. And I talk about them in the book, but some, for example, are, you know, just like checking in with your girlfriends, like sending, I send my girlfriends beautiful text messages and voice notes all the time. Every day I'm sending, not to the same person every day, but I'm constantly sending little messages saying, I love you. And I just want you to know how grateful I am for you in my life. And I think you're such a beautiful person. And I'm so proud of that blog post you just wrote. You're amazing. And I'm their biggest cheerleader. And I love playing that role for them because it feels really good for me, but it also lights up their life. And I I want to do that and I want to be the person that I desire to have into my life. Now, this doesn't mean you have to have 15, 20 or 25 best friends. I actually think that's unrealistic. And, you know, I think if you've got five, what was that book you were reading recently, darling, that was talking about five friends? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was Dan Butner's book on the Blue Zones. These are the five uh cultures or areas around the world where they have the longest lifespan or the most centenarians. And they're studying, well, what makes not just long life, but what makes 
people happy because happiness is a crucial part of living for a long time. And one of the pillars was obviously around community and friendship. There was nine pillars of longevity. And it was determined that the sweet spot for friendships was somewhere between five to 10 very, very close relationships with people. And to be honest, it was kind of five was the general sweet spot. And I believe it's the Okinawans. I'm pretty sure it was the Okinawans, but one of the cultures, when they're five years old, you are paired up with five, say men or five women, boys, sorry, or five girls. And there's literally a ceremony that you go through, which announces these people as your as your tribe. And you go through life with those five people. And what happens is you, you see this in the um, Icareans of Greece, where after work every day, the the men will be with the same four or five men, you know, playing chess or playing bocce. And no matter what's happening in their lives, they know every single thing that's going on in each other's lives. They know all the family members, they know all their struggles, and they know that when one person's down, the other four or five will be there for them no matter what. And this is a this is a pillar in all these cultures, and I find that really interesting because I have probably four or five really close friends, and these are men that I just like you. I regularly will just send a, a text message saying, "Hey, brother, just wanted you to know that I love you, and I'm so grateful that you're in my life." And that might sound to some men a bit uncomfortable, but over the years, I've got rid of any sort of judgment around expressing any sort of emotions like that because I've realized that that is the true masculine, the ability to express themselves and express love and emotion. So yeah, it's a really interesting concept. You don't need to have 10, 20, 30 friends. It's just not necessary. It doesn't mean you can't have a large tribe of people that you hang out with, but those really deep, intimate friendships, you don't have to have a lot of them. And that allows you to really nurture and go deep with them. I think so too, because, you know, we've all got full lives and families and some people have kids and husbands and things like that. So it's a little bit unrealistic to think that you could really nurture 25 friendships deeply, I think. And and that's for, for me as well. Like I I have my girls that I that I know what's going on in their life. Like I really know and we're very vulnerable and very open and deep with each other and there's no, hey, how are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, good. Great. Let's go. You know, it's like, no, how are you really? What's really going on for your life? Like how can I support you? Like is there anything I can do? to help you or to support you? That's another question I ask my friends a lot. What can I do to support you? And those friends ask me as well. They'll say, hey, you know, I I would love your support on this. And they're not afraid to ask as well. So I think it's so empowering and powerful to have those five people or don't get hung up on the number, whatever it is. If it's two, great. If it's one, awesome. You know, and if you don't have that, even one person, start to open wide and let people in and see what happens. And it doesn't have to be the same sex either. I mean, you introduced me, one of your besties, Tara Bliss, and 
I regularly tell Tara that I love her out of the blue. You know, I'll, I will send her a message like that. Um, and, you know, I've got a, quite a few girlfriends that are mutual friends of ours, but I have my own relationship with them and I regularly express my love and gratitude for them. And I think that's a really beautiful thing as well for for people to be able to do that with the opposite sex. I mean, you would do that with someone like Mike Sherbakoff, who's been on this podcast, James Colquhoun, who's been on the podcast. Um, they're both my brothers, you know. I will be there for them no matter what for the rest of my life. And I tell them that I love them, and so do you. And I think that's really beautiful as well, that there's no judgment about being close with the opposite sex. Uh, there's no fear or insecurity. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, I'm going to shift gears now and focus on you a bit and ask you, what's bringing you the most joy right now? I ask these questions every week and I've never stopped to think about them myself. There's so many things that are bringing me a lot of joy. And every day, every day, I, you know, I'm so excited to experience another day. I wake up every morning and I almost like just scream, yes, or most mornings I do, don't I, darling? Oh, I've got to tell you a funny story, actually. What story? <laughs> well, it's, it was this morning, actually, and it's really cute. Melissa literally wakes up every morning. <laughs> I'm sort of groggy and asleep. And I roll over and look at her and she's just like, eyes wide open, rosy cheeks, shiny skin. And she looks impossibly, impossibly bright and rosy at such an early hour. And, you know, I, I hope one day I experience that same vibrance at that time of the day. But Melissa just, you know, I open my eyes and she'll start singing this song to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not singing it. I'll sing it for you. It's hilarious. Mine will be more in tune than yours, that's for sure. But she sings. It's a new day, it's a new week, so many possibilities, <laughs> so many opportunities, you gotta go catch them. <laughs> I'm like, how can you not laugh and smile? Obviously, when someone's singing that to you in the morning, it's very sweet. Uh, it's true, but mine doesn't sound like that, guys. Mine sounds... Yeah. Well, mine sounds really bad and Nick looks at me like I have just run my fingers down a blackboard. It's very funny. But, you know, that is bring life. Every day is bringing me a lot of joy. And the fact that it's summer here in Australia is, you know, bringing me so much joy. Being out in nature and swimming in the ocean and walking along the beach every single day and blue skies bring me so much joy and watching the sunrise and sunset and just all of the adventures that we've got coming up with uh, our tour and all of the travel that we've got planned and all of the amazing things that we've got planned for our businesses and and your music. I'm just so excited and and just every day is bringing me joy. What's one thing you're working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? Maybe something that you may not tell other people, something that's quite intimate. I'm perfect. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're pretty good. You're also pretty annoying sometimes too. Oh, what? As <laughs> if. What, what do I do that's annoying? Come on. 
I think annoyance just comes out of imbalance. Like sometimes one of us would just be out of balance, just working a bit too much or, you know, didn't meditate. You know, it tends to be when we forget the truth of who we are because we haven't been doing the things we know that we could be doing. <laughs> but what's that one thing for you at the moment? Right now in this moment, I guess for me, I have the tendency to get slightly overwhelmed and stressed and a bit cortisol-y when I've got too much on my plate. I don't know if you've noticed, darling. No? No? A little bit lately. (laughs) (laughs) And so what I'm working on is to catch that before it tips over the edge and rebalance. So do the things that I know feel good for me when I am heading toward stress land um, or, or starting to feel my cells vibrate and become a bit cortisol-y, you know, doing a U-turn and coming back to my center. That's something that I'm I'm working on at the moment. So I love this question. Uh, let's pretend you have a magic wand. And you can put one book in the curriculum in every high school around the world. Which book do you choose? Besides mine, because they're already in the school curriculum. Mm-hmm. It's been said a few times, and I don't think I can go past it, but I think it will have to be conversations with God. I just think it is essential reading for every single person on this planet. And if you are attached to the word, God, you can change it to love or universe, whatever you want, but read it open wide and get taken on the journey because it's it's life-changing. Mm, yeah, it's definitely been pivotal for me and it was one of those books that I read at a point in time in a previous relationship which actually gave me the insight to let go of that relationship that I was referring to before. So I think it's largely responsible for us being together, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, And we actually had two of our best friends, Jess and Josh, read a whole bunch of quotes and sentences from that book on our wedding day, which was really beautiful because that book was just so pivotal for both of us. So yeah, definitely read it. And we've also actually had Neil Donald Walsh on the show who wrote Conversations with God. And so if you go to melissaambrosini.com forward slash 32, you can actually listen to that, which was an incredible interview, actually. It was it was mind-blowing. I think you were actually crying in that one, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Crying and goosebumps galore. <laughs> do you have a morning routine? And if you do, how does it look? How do you get yourself primed to kick ass? Absolutely. I have a morning routine, but I am flexible. Uh, Life comes up. I flow with it. I am not rigid, but there are a couple of things that are non-negotiables for me. And the first one is connecting with you every single morning. So we do that. Um, Sometimes that leads to making love. Sometimes it's just cuddling in bed and talking and connecting. Or singing. Or singing. Exactly. And we always ask each other, what are we grateful for? And we repeat three things we're grateful for. So gratitude, connecting with you. Uh, Usually I then go and meditate for 20 minutes. And then followed by that, there'll be some form of movement. And whether that's walking or some yoga or F45, 
training and that's it. That's it. If if I get in those things, I am set up for an epic day. I have been through stages where I have had Excel spreadsheet long lists of morning routines, but um, you know, for me in this time in my life, if I get in connection, gratitude, meditation and movement, I am set up for an awesome day. Mm, I agree. I mean, they are definitely the pillars for me as well. And I definitely notice it big time when I don't get those in. And But for me, I'm a little bit different. I actually kind of need a bit of a spreadsheet. For me, that structure, that discipline is freedom for me. So everyone's different how they work. And I like to kind of tick off the list because then I can feel like, okay, cool. No matter what happens for the rest of the day, I've already showed up, you know. So, you know, if you do like spreadsheets, by all means, use them. But I do agree with you. If you can just tick off those foundational ones, then, you know, that's that's everything. Um, what are three things that you're most recently grateful for? I am grateful for the beautiful walk that we had along the beach this morning. It is the most gorgeous day here in Sydney, like a blue sky, not one cloud. It's, you know, almost 30 degrees Celsius and it's just beautiful and warm and we had the most gorgeous walk and we went and did yoga and gave each other a little massage. Sorry to interrupt. I was going to say while we were doing yoga, we had a couple propose, a man propose in front of us to his now fiance, which was very sweet. Yeah, I was crying pretty much. Um, And yeah, so beautiful. So beautiful. They were just so beautiful watching them. So I'm grateful that we got that time together this morning. It was really, really beautiful. I love it so much. And even though we spend so much time together, I. I just can't get enough of you. I just love sharing life with you. It's just so beautiful. So I'm deeply grateful for that. I am grateful for the life that I've created, the work that I get to do and, you know, everything in this life. It's so beautiful and I'm so grateful for everything that's unfolding and for all the work that I get to do in the world and all the people I get to meet and help and support. I'm very grateful for that. And I'm grateful always for my health. I feel the healthiest and strongest and most energetic and vibrant I've ever felt in my entire life. And I don't take that for granted. I am grateful for that every single day. It's often when we get sick that we then appreciate our health, but I I appreciate it every single day, especially after having one of your best friends pass away from cancer. You know, it really does make you appreciate your health and your body so much. So speaking of health, what's, in your opinion, one of the most important things you can do for your health? Nourish your body with the best quality produce you can find. And drink clean, filtered water. Eat with love. Eat in a calm state. Mm, be a qualitarian. Be a qualitarian. Yeah. Yep. What's the one most important thing you can do for wealth? Adopt an abundance mindset 
let go of the lack mentality or the povo consciousness and adopt an abundance mindset and also be grateful for what you already have. It's very easy to want the house or the car or the money, but feel in your bones, deep in your bones, gratitude for what you already have because you already have everything within you. So feel that every single day and adopt an abundance mindset. Mm, Nice. And what is the one most important thing you can do for love? Be love. Be love with every fiber of your being. Show up with love. Become bursting with love and walk around every day as a little love ball and that will attract more love into your life. So true. And open wide. And open wide, <laughs> exactly. you got to open wide for all of that to happen. And what is the one thing that me, Nick, personally can do and the listeners can do today to serve you? You could share this book with someone you deeply love. And whether that means you buy them a copy and you go and put it on their doorstep with a love note or you ship it to them with a little cute message, do something like that for your soul sister. This is how to be an epic soul sister. This is how to really master your relationships. Buy someone you deeply love a copy of Open Wide and gift it to them. That would serve me so much because the world needs more open people. There's so many closed people living in fear. We need more heart-centered open people that want to create deep love, rocking relationships and experience soulful sex because that's what we're here for. Well, I want to thank you for writing this book it's it's mind-blowing and it's so funny because melissa has these moments where she just looks at me and she says my book shit it's <laughs> crap it's a piece of crap i can't release it no I'm, i can't go through with it <laughs> it's too late it's already gone to the printers and i still say that that's right and i have to say it's very far from the truth this is the most phenomenal book it's written with such honesty, such integrity, and a real a real desire with everything that you do, but especially this book, a real desire to elevate people to that next level. And when it comes to life in general, love and relationships, you know, it's just the juice of life, you know. And this book can play such a huge role in paving a path for people knowing the rules of the game a little bit more. Like I said before, when I didn't know this stuff, it was like flying blind. And I'm excited because I know that people now have, the listeners now have the ability to get this information in a very succinct, modern 21st century way. You know, your voice, the way you write it, it's so easy to digest. And you've distilled this into a very easy read. Like it's a serious book. Like I'm, it's, it blows me away just how much content you can, you can put out every day, whether it's through Instagram, books, video, podcasts, but you do it in a way which is always enjoyable and easy to listen to or easy to read. And this book is no exception. It's really stunning. So congratulations on that. And also I just want to thank you for 
coming on the show that you created. Um, it's an incredible show. It's my favorite podcast. And everywhere I go, people stop me and tell me how good your podcast is. And I think that's just testament to um, the way you show up in the world and the love that you radiate to your audience. It's really beautiful. And finally, I just want to thank you for being you, for being born, for being my wife. And, you know, it's a real honor to be able to interview you, number one, but also just to be able to witness the work that you do, the way that you are every day. I can honestly say that you are the most authentic, high-integrity person that I know, and that's why I literally ran out the doors to find a gemstone to marry you, because I just, I wanted more of what you had. And four years later, it's still the same. It's no exception. I want more of what you've got. I want to wake up like you in the morning. I want to have the relationships that you have. And it's an honor to be with you. So thank you for coming on the Melissa Ambassini slash Nick Broadhurst show. (laughs) Thank you, darling. I'm like got tears in my eyes. That was so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful to have you in my life. Thank you. You were a massive inspiration for Open Wide. Of course, you know, a lot of the content is our experience and I want to thank you for allowing me to share it and for cracking me open wide and taking me to depths of love I didn't even know existed within myself so I'm so glad it's you (laughs) too much fun loved it thanks darling wow what an episode. Seriously, hearing Melissa in her zone of genius talking about this stuff is just, yeah, such an honor. And I'm truly honored to be the one who got to interview her. For me, my biggest takeaway, I think, was hearing her talk about soulful sex and sex as an act of service. Because I know that that understanding has really radically shifted a lot in my life and Melissa's as well. So we hope you got a lot out of that. Please do subscribe and leave Melissa a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app because trust me, she'd be so grateful. And tell Melissa who you want on the show. Send her a tweet, tell her on Instagram, tell her on Facebook, make sure you tag her because it's really important. We want to hear from you. And for everything that was mentioned in today's episode, you can check out the show notes at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 55. And you can get all of Melissa's podcasts at melissaambrosini.com forward slash podcast. Now, don't forget, you can order Melissa's book, Open Wide, right now. Go to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy and go to nickandmelissa.com to reserve your ticket for the Open Wide Tour. Now, thank you so much for being here. And as Melissa would say, for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think would benefit from this episode, I mean, seriously, who wouldn't? Please share it with them right now. Send them to that page. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. 